Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Scott Miller. Scott is the national baseball columnist for Bleacher Report. You can give him a follow on Twitter at ScottMillerBBL. Scott, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Hey, Ross. Um, Nice to be with you. My pleasure. Well, let's start at the beginning, Scott. Tell me what initially attracted you to baseball in the first place. You know, I think... It, it, it was growing up as a kid in Michigan. I grew up in a town called Monroe, home of uh, world headquarters of Lazy Boy Chairs, by the way, and Monroe Shock Absorbers. <laughs> Monroe, Michigan, it's about 30 minutes south of Detroit uh, in the southeastern corner of uh, of Michigan. And I was a sports nut as a kid, grew up literally learning to read on the sports sections, reading the Detroit sports columnists. Joe Falls was big at the time. And, of course, listening to the Tigers on radio and watching the Tigers on TV. And, of course, in that part of the country at that time, you listened to Ernie Harwell. And the combination, I think, listening to Ernie, reading the sports sections, you know, reading the columnist, I thought that would be a really cool job. So, fortunately, writing always kind of came naturally to me. And uh, by the time I was in about seventh grade, um, from what I just mentioned, uh, I, I, I love to write. I love baseball, reading the sports section. I, by about seventh grade, I was like, I want to be a baseball writer. You always hear the, the, uh, people talk about at least baseball writers, you know, or, or fans, you always say, well, the, the guys, you know, some of these sports writers, they're just frustrated athletes. You know, they, they they're just doing that because they couldn't play. I, uh, I knew by, the time I was in little league, I wasn't going to be a professional baseball player. I never wanted to play. I'm doing exactly what I always wanted to do. I love to write. I love baseball. The two, merging the two, um, it, it was a young, a dream of mine as a boy. And fortunately I've been able to, uh, to kind of steer my life into the baseball arena and, and do exactly what I always wanted to do. You're based in Southern California now, so let's hit on the Dodgers for a bit. They went into the offseason thinking they would re-sign Greinke, add Chapman, and sign Iwakuma, but all three of those deals fell through. Where do they go from here? You know, that's uh, the Dodgers. I think everybody in Southern California is watching those guys. Um, that Everything they've touched this winter has just turned to dust on them. As you mentioned, the Rolls chapman trade that, that uh, you know fell through. Uh, the Iwakuma deal fell through, um, losing Granky. Um, you know, there's some thought with that, that, uh, three-way trade. They just pulled with the White Sox recently where Todd Frazier went from Cincinnati to the White Sox. They've stockpiled some prospects. And so there's some thought that they're going to try to take a run at making a trade for a guy, whether it's Miami's Jose Fernandez, or, um, you know, they've talked to Tampa Bay about Jake Odorizzi and, and, and some of Tampa's starters, but, you know, they, they're in a transition time right now, Ross. The Dodgers are. Their payroll last year went over $300 million. They're trying to, cu- to cut that while also infusing their system with young players. They know they need to get younger and cheaper. And by cheaper, I don't mean like, you know, Houston Astros, Miami Marlins cheap. I mean, they're always going to have a big payroll, but they're trying to get to the point where, you know, they lower the payroll some and, and, and kind of grow their own prospects. And, um, you know, that's why you didn't see a lot of people thought they should have gone after David Price on the free agent market. They did try to retain Granky, but they would only go five years. They wouldn't go into that sixth year. Um, Johnny Cueto, some people thought they should have gone after him. My own personal take is 
where they really messed up was last uh, July. They they should have traded for Cole Hamels, and I know they didn't want to trade a bunch of their young prospects in a package. But you know, had they done that, they'd have Hamels and Kershaw together, and and it would absorb the blow of losing Granke. Plus, uh, you know, we've seen what the cost of pitching is is gone to this winter, and with with uh, Hamels. You know, he signed for a relatively cheap $20 million or so a year for the next couple of years. So, um, you know, that's the one I, I think would have made sense for them. The Angels need a corner outfielder. There are several good ones on the market. Do you think they'll pursue Upton, Gordon, or Cespedes? You know, so far, uh, their owner, Artie Moreno, spoke with local uh, Los Angeles uh, Angels beat guys the other day and says no. He, he's been reluctant since about 2004 to go over that. $189 million luxury tax threshold. And, um, you know, so, so far, uh, he has not shown, he, he, he specifically addressed the free agents, Alex Gordon, Upton Cespedes. And he told the angels writers the other day, it's highly unlikely that they're going to be involved in any of them. So that's not to say they won't. I mean, the one thing we do know about the way the Angels operate under Artie Marino is they never tip their hand. Uh, you know, going back to when they signed Vladimir Guerrero as a free agent back around what '04 maybe, um, him, and when they signed um, Pujols and even Josh Hamilton, all three of those deals, there were no rumors at all. The way Artie Marino operates is, you know, he goes in under the radar, meets with somebody. I'm talking, if you're talking big, high-profile guys, meets with them and basically gives them a take-or-leave-it offer. He comes in high, and he says, this is what I'm going to offer, but you know, you need to let me know, like, basically within 24 hours. You know, we're not going to – he will not let himself uh, be used as leverage by other teams. Um, so that's why I don't think he will go after Gordon, Cespedes, or Upton. Um be, you know, but that's taking him at his word, telling the writers, "No, I'm not. I, I don't see us being interested." Now that said, it could be a, you know, a, a bait and switch where he publicly says no, and then he goes in stealth and, uh, you know, with some big giant offer. But right now, it does not look like it. Is there a feeling around baseball that the Angels are wasting Mike Trout's prime? Absolutely. With uh, I think there is. Um, I mean, this guy has been as good as there's been in the last three or four years, and he he's only got one playoff appearance to show for it and that was two Octobers ago when the Angels got skunked by the Kansas City Royals three games to none um, it's a mismanaged team it's hard to it's hard to call the Angels out because their answer will be hey we're spending all kinds of money you know we brought in these superstars and and you know you can't fault the Angels for being cheap but I think you can fault them and by them, I guess I mean their their owner. You can fault for not allowing the baseball people to do their jobs. I mean Albert Pujols signing, Josh Hamilton signing, both of those were ownership driven. It wasn't that the GM at the time, Jerry Depoto, uh, said these are the guys we absolutely need to fill holes and be really good. It, it was, you know, Artie Moreno going in and and basically you know, saying, I'm going to make this move. And the Pujols thing, a lot of that thought was they had just signed one of these long-term local television contracts, um, you know, 20 years. And the thought was, okay, if they get Pujols, they've got a marquee player that's going to help drive television ratings. But it certainly has not helped drive winning 
And I don't think it it's going to. I mean, that contract and the Josh Hamilton contract essentially, you know, got panned uh, from the time he signed them. And, you know, the pools thing is just, it was clear his prime was already a year or two behind him and, and, you know, a 10 year deal. Um, you know, it's just not, the angels have not been a well put together team the last five or six years. And a lot of that falls on, on, as I say, the, the ownership and the way the team is run from Artie Moreno going in and unilaterally making a decision. We're going to go after Pujols and Hamilton. And also, the long-term contract Mike Sosha has um, has put all the power in the organization in his hands and basically neutered the general manager, which is why you saw the drama the last few years. And then finally Jerry DePoto up and resigned in June. So I just can't work under these circumstances. So, you know, while you've seen other teams uh, put together really good brain trusts and, and to stay in the angels division, um, you know, under John Daniels, the Texas Rangers really have had it going great the last few years. And, uh, you know, they got Daniels and they had some really good assistance to him, guys like Thad Levine and Scott Littlefield. And, and they've got a nice front office team that works well together and works in sync. Whereas in Anaheim, you've had the power with the manager and, and the GM, not so much. And you've had an owner that's meddled in baseball activities and you know consequently yes to get back to your original question i think there's no question that that um you know the, the the angels are risking very much risking um you know blowing it with mike trout's uh incredible present you mentioned the angels television contract which did make me think about the dodgers because uh, they've been blacked out yeah. in los angeles for <laughs> two years now i think 70 percent of the market can't actually see the games is there going to be any resolution to this this year or or dodger fans still kind of screwed here you know the latter as of right now there's been no movement and um you know it's just it's one of those business deals and you know, a lot of people in Los Angeles are saying, well, why can't the Dodgers just do something about this? It's on them. And it essentially is. Um, but, you know, and I don't have all the dollar figures in front of me, but the bottom line is um, on the Dodgers network, all, all the other, uh, you know, most of the cable channels are saying that, that the Time Warner Dodgers channels, they won't weigh too much money. We're not going to carry it. So, you know, it's a, over a billion dollar deal. And, and the problem is, locally a lot of people are saying this is on the Dodgers they could go in and um um they could go in and basically fix this on their own well the only way they're going to fix that is if they undercut their own TV channel and and say okay we're going to lower the price and not charge the cable companies as much as we think this is worth well if they do that then what you've got is a couple of things one that that Dodgers will, will undercut themselves, won't make nearly as much money as they think they're going to make. But two, because local TV revenue is the that's the big thing in the industry right now. I mean, you know, the Diamondbacks. That's why they were able to have the money. People will say, how where do the Diamondbacks get the money? To sign Granky and do all the stuff they've done this winter. Well, they've got one a, a billion dollar local television deal about to start, so they've got a bunch of money flowing in. All around the game, teams' local revenue, local TV deals have just gone bananas. 
And the problem with the Dodgers is if they go in and say, okay, we need to fix this. We need our fans to see our product. We're going to low, lower our asking rate. Well, then there's a domino effect throughout the game where in Arizona and all these other markets, you know, Boston, where have you, everybody looks at LA and says, well, wait a minute, the Dodgers couldn't get the money they thought they were going to get. They ended up lowering their fee. Um, so across the industry, uh, there's the domino effect where it, it, it's going to affect other teams' dollars as well. So it's a sticky situation. And to answer your question, no, as of right now, it does not look, uh, as we speak, like there's any, any, any uh, breakthrough in, in line for the Dodgers fans to where they can watch what also, Ross, is probably going to be the, vast, the last year of Vin Scully at the mic. So that's, that's, that exacerbates this whole thing. Scott, you're a Hall of Fame voter. Let's shift focus to the Hall of Fame real quick. Uh, This year, the Hall implemented a new rule change requiring voters to have been active BBWAA members within the last 10 years. Uh, This purged about 90 voters uh, and will continue to to eliminate some going forward. What are your thoughts on that change? You know, I'm... I'm, uh, it was kind of sprung on the baseball writers. I would have rather seen the Hall talk with some of the leadership of the BBWAA, and at least it's always been a really good working partnership. Um, I would have liked to see a little more conversation there. Um, and 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 I'm mixed. I get what the Hall's trying to do. They're 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 trying to weed out guys that don't cover baseball that 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 have you know that maybe have lost touch with the game. There's a fine line between, between people who don't cover baseball, uh, between it being some retired baseball writers who spent their life in baseball and have seen many of the guys they're voting on where some of the younger voters have not. There's a fine line between that and, 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 and eliminating those types of voters that have great knowledge that have spent their life covering the game fine line between eliminating those guys and other voters who also have the vote, but have gotten away from covering baseball. Maybe they cover football. Maybe, maybe they're columnists that just don't deal much with baseball anymore. And and that group maybe doesn't, has lost touch with baseball. So I get what they're trying to do, generally speaking, um, in, in, in trying to weed out those people. But, I just hope in the process of doing that, uh, they figure out a way to keep the, 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 the guys who now have retired and still have a vote, but spent their entire lives covering baseball and still stay plugged in. I hope there's a way to keep those guys involved because I think that's a very valuable portion of the voting block. Now, the baseball writers did form a Hall of Fame committee, and they suggested that the Hall increase their 10-player limit to 12, and the Hall declined to implement that increase. What are your thoughts on how that was handled on both sides? Yeah. Well, you know, it never hurts to ask. I didn't mind the baseball writers asking for that, and, and, and um, you know, it's certainly the Hall of Fame's right to, to implement the rules they want. Um, I personally speaking, Ross, um, I was never down with the baseball writer's request to, to increase the ballot. I mean, you know, my own personal feeling, I don't, I've never voted. I've voted now for 16 years. Usually I don't come close to putting 10 players on the ballot. Uh, last year, I think was my personal high. 
And I want to say I had nine players on last year's ballot. So while the baseball writers asked, hey, we, we don't know why there should be a limit of 10 players. We, we should be able to vote for as many people as we want. I mean, I thought it was a fair request. Some guys are upset with that. Personally speaking, I didn't necessarily uh, couldn't wholeheartedly support that because, you know, it never affected me because I don't put 10 players on the ballot. Now, a lot of what that request went into was because guys, the guys who want more to be able to vote for more than 10 players, they're guys who vote for Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, all the steroid uh, guys. Um, so that's the big issue there to me. And that's why some guys ballots are beginning to get stacked up with names, kind of like, you know, jet airliners on the tarmac waiting to take off that when there's a jam, because every year that goes by that Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa don't get voted in. And, and as we know, there've been no, they've not been close so far they remain on the ballot the next year. So now you've got guys this year, like Ken Griffey Jr., Trevor Hoffman coming on. So when all these guys, new guys come on and you've got all these leftover guys like, like, you know, Bonds and, and, and the steroid guys, I can see where the ballot gets clogged up. Now, as I say, I've never come close to voting for 10. Part of that is, as you probably guessed by now, I'm a guy that does not vote for steroid guys. I, I, that's my line in the sand. I don't think there's any great way to do this. I get the argument, the passionate argument that, you know, hey, there was no rule against it till 2004, and 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 you know, it's it it wasn't as big a deal as as people say it was, and you, you voters shouldn't be on your moral high horse. This is all kinds of people reprobates already are in the Hall of Fame. I'm, I'm one of those people, by the way. That say that okay that and you know what I can respect that I mean I I some of my best friends in the vote that are voters um, some of my best friends among the Baseball Writers Association guys like Jason Stark of ESPN Bob Nightingale of USA Today Jim Capel of of ESPN um, these these I mean these are guys that that I lean on for advice that we talk all the time. They all vote for Barry Bonds, et cetera. And I bring that up because I can respect their point. I respect their viewpoint. I mean, there are a lot of really good baseball writers who are voters. Um, but I think you can look at this thing different, different, different ways. And for me, I am really uncomfortable in that it might look like I'm on my uh, moral high horse and uh, maybe I am, you know, and, and, but I just think there's a right, there's a wrong. And I, I think just, I think this issue, I'm sorry it came to the baseball writers to be the ultimate judge and jury, because to me, the players back in the day, the players union dropped the ball on this big time, as did the owners by not pushing them. But you know, under Donald Fair, the players union wouldn't have anything to do with this. So the steroids gets out of hand. I, I really wish at the time, I think a lot of players who opted not to do steroids, some of whom were getting squeezed out of the game. I wish they would have taken control of their own union and said, look, we need a level playing field, but they didn't. And anyway, just because without going on for another 20 minutes, but to me, just because the players themselves dropped the ball back in the day, 
the owners did, and the commissioner did, I still think the rule book is way out of whack. And I just, I have a hard time personally voting for guys when we all know it was wrong what they did. And I just, as I say, the players, the owners, the commissioners, to me, they all dropped the ball at the time. I wish they would have handled things differently back then. But to me, just because they didn't, now the voting comes to us. I just personally, I can't sign off on on that era. I think Bonds and Clement should be in, but I, I get why people aren't voting for them. The two that bother me are Bagwell and Piazza, because in those cases, there's no evidence. It's just suspicion. Tell me about why you don't vote for those guys. Well, I'll tell you what, and I'm glad you brought those two up. You're right. I have not voted for them yet. And um, those are the two guys that keep me up at night. And the other thing, you know, listeners should know, um, I would hope all all Hall of Fame voters, and I I know some of the names I mentioned, I know people I'm close with take this vote incredibly seriously. I mean, I think it's as important as anything we do all year just about I spend a lot of time on this thing every December when the ballot comes. You know, I always wait till the end to mail it in. I spend, you know, I do a little bit of work on it each day, a couple, you know, I don't know how many hours I end up putting into research and thinking about this. But anyway, much of December, I, I think about this, I research it. Bagwell and Piazza are the two names that keep me up at night because you're exactly right that all that surrounds them is suspicion. Now, where I've, I've kind of got the, and again, you can agree, disagree. I respect all your opinions because I don't think anybody's particularly 100% right on this whole topic. Where I've come from on Bagwell and Piazza, I'm really close to voting for them. I'd like to vote for them. What I'm doing, I've kind of got them almost in a holding pen on my own ballot. I haven't discounted voting for them, but as long as we've got 10 years to review these cases, I've kind of put them aside, waiting to see if any more information is going to come in as it pertains to those two guys in the steroid era. There's a ton of suspicion on both guys. Um, And I admit, you can say, Scott, you're wrong you you can't just penalize a guy on suspicion. And, and I get that. And, and that bothers me a lot. And, and that's why these two cases I think about and I think about, and I just, once you vote for guys, Ross, I think there's no going back. And as long as I've got a, a little bit more time with these two on the ballot to decide and to think about it, I'm kind of exercising my right if you will, to take the extra time I need in those two individual cases before voting for them, because I'd like to vote for them. Um, The suspicions in each case, obviously, there are a ton of suspicion around both guys. But I think ultimately, in the end, I'm going to get to a point where unless we get more information, I can't just not vote for guys on suspicion. So so far, I haven't voted for them. You're exactly right. And that's the reason. I've kind of got them in a holding pin. I want to wait and, and make sure that I get every bit of information I can. Um, but in both cases, the clock's ticking. I think Piazza's only been on the ballot about four years. I think this might this is fifth, if I'm not mistaken. 
fourth or fifth year this year. Bagwell's up about seven years. Um, now they can be on 10 years. So, I mean, I don't want to wait forever to vote for them, but I, I do want to give it a few years. Um, at least that's been my philosophy with each of them. Well, now Piazza is almost certainly getting in this year. And Bagwell has an outside chance, but he will likely get in next year. Will Piazza getting in this year change the way that you approach steroid guys in general, or at least the suspicion crowd? You know, and that, that's, again, these are all fair questions. And, uh, and, and I, I wish I could say, in each case, it's a black and white issue, and here's the answer. But it, there's, there's so much gray in all, in all of this. And like I said, I'm just one voter trying to do what he thinks is right. Um, you know, I don't make any grandstanding that, oh, my God, I, I don't know how people can vote for steroid guys. I, as I say, in my case, I just I haven't come to terms with a person where I think I can do that. Now, to your question, it's a very good question. I will. This thing has become such such agony, almost trying to sort through the Hall of Fame ballot and deal with all this. If Piazza gets in this year and you're right, it looks like he very well might. I mean, I'm, I will have mixed reactions and I will admit part of my reaction will almost be relief. It'll be like, okay, going back to your point, there's no hard evidence with the guy. I haven't gotten to a place where I can get past a lot of the suspicion to where I vote for him. And as I say, maybe next year I will, maybe the year after that I will. I'm, I'm, reevaluating every year and I'm, I'm maybe moving closer to voting for each. Um, that said, where Piazza's concerned, if he gets in this year in a way, it'll almost be a sense of relief for me to where I'm like, all right, you know, I've agonized over him. I haven't voted for him, but personally I like him a lot. I always like dealing with him. And you know what, if the, if, if the, if the voting body says he's in, then Congratulations, and we'll cross that off our list, and we'll move on to the next thing. Ryan Thibodeau, who runs the Baseball Hall of Fame tracker and keeps track of all the public votes, he was on a podcast this morning, and they were talking about Pudge Rodriguez, who's on the ballot for the first time next year. And they were talking about whether or not his candidacy will be affected by rumors of steroid use. And two people thought it would, and the other person said, no, he's going to get in right away. You talk to other writers, you're a voter. Do you plan on voting for Pudge Rodriguez next year? You know, again, I mean, I'm certainly, Ross, I'm not looking to duck any of these questions. They're all good questions. They're all fair questions. My honest answer on Pudge right now for next year is I just, I don't know yet. Again, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of suspicion. His last, I want to say his last year with the Tigers, I mean, there was a year toward the end of his career, he showed up in spring training and nobody recognized him. He almost looked like a teenager again. And again, all that did, yes, that fueled all kinds of steroid speculation. I mean, we all know that Rangers, the Rangers teams with Conseco, Jose Gonzalez, Pudge, I mean, you know, there's a lot of smoke around those teams, a lot of steroid smoke. And where Rodriguez is concerned, um, he, the way he dropped pounds and body type the way his body type changed there at the end, you had to think, oh my gosh, he's almost unrecognizable. It's clear why this has happened. So again, with the suspicion and I'm wrestling with this in my own mind and I'd like to vote for Pudge, but I remember I don't vote for steroid guys. I remember the way he showed up 
looking that way toward the end of his career. And as uh, so I have not decided on that one either. Um, you know, I go back also to, um, last year, I did a long story, a long takeout for Bleacher Report on the rift between Sammy Sosa and the Chicago Cubs. And again, Sosa, a lot of speculation. I don't vote for him. It's pretty obvious. I think he was a juicer, but he's never admitted it, you know, on and on and on. He did fail the survey test in 2003. Anyway, on the Sosa story, uh, an old Cubs um, executive told me when I was working on that, he said the problem, he's on, the, the thing he's, that, that bothers him about the whole steroid era is you've got three or four guys kind of holding the baggage for the whole era. You know, Sosa, McGuire, Bonds, Clemens, those guys are vilified. And the question is how many guys did it and skated through and never got caught? And is that fair? And to me, that's the best argument that I've heard that makes me, again, rethink, rethink, wonder if I should recalibrate, wonder should I switch and vote for some of these guys, because I think that's a fair argument as well. Last question, Scott. Do you think there were players already in the Hall of Fame who used steroids? Well, yes. I I would not be surprised. I think probably there are, and that's certainly another issue about, uh, well, then why shouldn't you vote for a Bonds or even for a Piazza or a Bagwell? And um, uh, yeah, I'm sure we're going to get to that day. There probably are guys in there now, and we're probably going to get to that day where somebody already in the Hall of Fame goes public and says, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I did use and whether however he frames it, I regret that I used or I used it and I'm glad I did whatever. So yeah, we're going to get to that point and I don't know if that's going to end up changing uh, some opinions among voters or not. You've been listening to Scott Miller. Scott is the national baseball columnist for Bleacher Report. You can give him a follow on Twitter at ScottMillerBBL. Scott, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. My pleasure, Ross. Thanks for having me on.